Make fun network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. And welcome to Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. This is the history podcast that finds weird and forgotten bits of history, sometimes just cool ones, and talks about them and uh, makes fun jokes. We make history come alive with humor. It's Black History Month. It's February, uh, which means that this week and uh, hopefully next episode, which I think will be still during February, but if it's not, we're going to do it in March. Fuck it. We're going to talk about interesting, cool black people in history who have their own weird stories or cool stories. This week, I'm going to be talking about uh, Le Chevalier de Saint-Georges, a composer and duelist, as well as general, uh, in the Napoleonic era in France. He was uh, a fantastic dude, has a very, like really interesting life story, and uh, you can still hear his music performed today. Um, so I'm quite excited to talk about him. Right, cool. Very cool. So, uh, and this week I'll be talking about uh, Stephen Bishop, a 19th century African American cave explorer and tour guide of a uh, one of the actually the largest cave system in the world that oh, cool. is located in Kentucky. Mm. Very cool. So I can see an article that you're using as reference, and the title is <laughs> "Bottomless Pit." Is that the name of the cave system? No, no, but it is a, uh, in some sense, a bottomless pit of no, knowledge. No, I mean, there. it'll come up in the story, but it, in both a metaphorical and a literal sense, there was a, a bottomless pit in mm-hmm. this uh, cave system that sort of in, in fine, and being able to cross over it sort of opened up very interesting parts of the cave previously unexplored. So literally it is both a, (laughs) it is a kind of central theme to kind of what led to this sort of being pieced together as a large cave system. So how is it a bottomless pit then? Because it doesn't go all the way through. Does it go to the magma magma core? Yeah, it does. (laughs) It goes right to the second layer. Yeah. And then out on the other side to China. (laughs) Um, No, it, uh, I, I didn't read about the depth of the, Bottomless pit. Right, mm-hmm. It's bottomless. You it's don't bottomless. Know you don't yeah, I mean, what's the point of measuring? What's the point of measuring it? it? Yeah, you, you'll never gonna, get that tape back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, you drop a tiny pebble in it. You just you're down one tiny pebble. It's gone forever. You mm-hmm. could have skipped that across a lake and been like, "Hey, friends, I skipped it across the lake, yeah, and you, I counted four hops. If you say three hops, I'm gonna call you a liar." Could have skipped it, reflected on the fragility of life, and then uh, you know moved on. Want to run fragility? <laughs> <laughs> reflected on the fragility of life hell yeah i want you to i this is a note that is for editing max but i also hope makes it into the podcast of taking how strong of an emphasis you put on fragility that second time and put it in the first one fragility yeah there we go now i'm enunciating my words look at how much my mouth is moving it's moving a lot a lot of movement in my mouth to enunciate my words it doesn't look comfortable or sustainable it's not i can sustain it i can fucking do it no okay i'm i'm gonna hold you i'm gonna hold you to sustaining it oh maybe i fucking will okay i'm gonna make constant references to it so that you can't this is already incredibly uncomfortable i i'm just gonna let you win oh you're moving your mouth more than the 
words necessitate. I'm well aware of that, Jackie. Now, now what's harder, Max? Uh, keeping talking like that or throwing in the towel? Th- <laughs> talking like that. All right. <laughs> All right. Here. I'll catch that towel. Throw it. Throw it. In. Whoosh. Okay, oh, it's I in got... the bottomless pit. Oh, oh no. Ah. We could If the thrown in towel never touches the ground, you can't stop. Oh no, I let the towel hit the floor. All right, let's get on to actual history. So, Le Chevalier de Saint-Georges was born as Joseph Boulogne on the French ruled Caribbean island of Guadalupe on December 25th, 1745. That's right, he was born on Christmas. Christmas. That's, that's tough being at Christmas. You know, all of his gifts were folded together. Christmas stole a lot of the spotlight. It was tough. Uh, but he, he more than made up for it with his life, I think. I think probably just despite that. That he was born on Christmas? Yeah, just despite his birth. So is Le Chevalier, is that a title? Or he changed his first name? It is a title, yes. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. So I, 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 For the record, I'm probably going to continue to refer to him by Joseph, because I do not want to keep... I, I don't think I could work my mouth around that pronunciation he, uh, he he so after all he just went by saint george saint george saint okay george. i'll stick with that saint then. george joseph either one's fine although you are dishonoring him if you call him just joseph because he was you know a knight no Ooh. i'm just razzing your berries <laughs> uh so saint george's father george de boulogne saint george was a plantation owner and slaveholder on guadalupe who while he was still in france had been part of the inner circle of king louis the 15th uh, he was married and had a legitimate daughter, but he also had a slave mistress by the name of Nanon. Um, and unorthodoxly, uh, he not only uh, acknowledged his uh, mistress and his uh, illegitimate son, but when he took his wife and legitimate child back to France, uh, he also took uh, Joseph and uh, Nanon back as well. Um, and he took them back with him to France in 1748 after fleeing a court conviction for killing a man in a duel. Whoa. Yeah. He was, by all accounts, a uh, an interesting man. And Joseph, as a man who was half black, was barred from French noble status, but he did enjoy his father's support and patronage. So while he was not counted as noble by the French nobility because of his ancestry, he did receive the tutoring appropriate for a young member of the French nobility. He attended a boarding school run by a famous swordsman named La Boissier, and there he learned fencing and swordsmanship, but as well as literature, the sciences, and horseback riding. La Boissier became the first of several people to write admiringly of St. George's prowess with the sword. So St. George was tall, handsome, gracious. Uh, he really fit incredibly well into the, the halls of the French aristocracy. And in 1765, though, a fencer named Picard, not the Jean-Luc Picard of Star Trek fame, we because figured. this Picard <laughs> was terrible. Uh, Wait, he, uh, just a practical yeah. question about his, before I forget this, like yeah. his father um, having to move with his family, was dueling uh outlawed at this time or like what you so you could duel and just not to the death it's always been illegal to kill people no so well, duel- not always even in a duel uh even even in a agree. duel you're like honestly dueling is not like dueling to the death is not legal there are different like ways to duel uh pistol dueling which came later was pretty much always to the death because that's how a fucking duel works but if you're going to kill somebody in the duel it has to be um not ratified, but approved by like a, basically a court around you uh, as a duel to the death. And those were really only granted Pretty. in exceptional circumstances. 
Interesting. Um, most of the time, if a duel was being fought, it was to first blood or first touch. Or sometimes, if in, you know, in the if it was in sport fencing, it was you know just a duel to points kind of a thing. Interesting, right? Oh. So, uh, in 1765, a fencer named Wait, yes. can we, can we go back? Okay. Did he get in trouble because they did a duel to the death, or he took a duel to first blood too far? His father? Yeah. His father killed a man uh, in a duel illegally. Now, if he. That's okay. This is this is a pre-story. This is a pre-story story story. that I didn't do Sorry. that much research. That's on. okay. Yeah, that uh, he killed sense. he killed a man in a duel illegally. Now you're free to speculate on how he killed that man. Maybe it was uh, you know he gave First him a big old movie. a big old sniff of a flower uh, you know as part of the ritual. But the man was allergic. Who knows? But I I think he just slew him. That would be. An adorable duel <laughs> of taking just various – I mean, a horrible way to die. But if the duel was just literally a bunch of commonly aller, like allergenic-type items that they would rub at each other's faces <laughs> until one of them started coughing and sneezing. I maintain duel to first loogie would be very entertaining. Because mm-hmm. you can't keep your finger out too long. you got to keep re-wetting it. That's a that's, – uh... What do you think a loogie is? I meant wet willy. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I Here's the thing. I felt I I thought I was just dumb and I was like I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to pretend I, I know. <laughs> it's pronounced Louie and he was king, Jackie. <laughs> Louis the 15th. The Sun King. Wet willy duels would be yeah, would be kind of cool. Yeah. I wonder well, we'll, you guys didn't find it as funny as I did. Yeah, no, it was just like, what are you doing to that? <laughs> just, a, just a little wet slug of spit on your finger. All right. Uh, so one fatal one wet fatal willy. Wait, will, wet willy later. And St. George, of course, being a uh, star pupil uh, with his instructor in uh, swordsmanship and the arts later. Um, St. George, Joseph St. George, was challenged in 1765, third time I've said that date, by a fencer named Picard. He insulted his ancestry and I believe called him a racial slur and challenged him to a duel. St. George at first refused, thinking, "Why do I don't want to fucking duel this guy. It's not worth my time, and said as much in his diary, but in a much more refined manner. Uh, but his father promised him a new carriage if he fought and won. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I, sorry, I also started laughing. Just the way you had said, like he called them a racial slur. <laughs> like I, the way the the diction that you put behind it just conjured up in my, uh, in my mind, just this guy coming up and just pointing at him and going racial slur, <laughs> like just being like, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing right now. Um, in high school, would you have fought someone for a car? No. Wait, wait, but we didn't well, say to, to the, the death. death. No, oh, yeah. to the 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 a wet willy duel okay, for a so car. I, yeah, I, hell, well, only if I win though. Yeah. Oh, do I get to immediately sell the car and then keep the money? Because I don't want a car. I mean, it depends what your dad's terms are, but if I could I like know. then just say yeah, sell the car, sure. Cause what I, if it? What if it's two bicycles taped together? Hell yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that that, and I'll I'll take the car. Yeah, <laughs> never. Yeah, I was I was in sword fighting club in high school. I absolutely would have. All right. Well, oh. what's the second? Well, I mean, uh, this is wet willies, not sword fighting. So, <laughs> oh, you're right. Well, ooh, that'd be tough. That'd be tough. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was a huge nerd, so that was my natural weakness was wet willies. It's like hitting my glowing weak point. Wait, so would you for a car? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not to the death though. You know. Yeah. No, not yeah. to the death. Jackie, okay, Jackie's got those murder eyes. <laughs> she does. <laughs> um, I've been trying to tell her, and she keeps stabbing me each time I do. <laughs> so, 
at the duel in the city of Rowan, St. George quickly beat Picard. He went on to fight many more duels. He needs to grow his carriage collection. <laughs> a Maserati, mm-hmm. a horse drawn. One for each day of the year. Yeah. <laughs> went on to fight many more duels. Most of them not uh, honor duels, but more fencing bouts. He suffered his first defeat a year later in dueling. After a year of that. Like, not dueling every fucking weekend, but of like... You know, fairly fairly regular sword fights at the hands of the famed Italian fencer Giuseppe Gianfaldoni, who uh, who praised Saint George and said that he would soon be the best fencer on the European continent. Oh wow! Yeah, which is pretty good. You know, if somebody beats you, it's like one day you'll be better than me, kid. Like, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. It's a real real anime moment right there. He drove off in his carriage. <laughs> I'm taking this Every carriage. single no. fight is, a car- is for a carriage. He had so many carriages by the end. He was lousy with them. Uh, he built a house out of carriages. I like that image. Mm-hmm. Jackie and I both had the I don't hate that <laughs> yeah, idea not a bad face. Look. And they were all um, Cinderella carriages in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mine, mine all too. Vaguely pumpkin shaped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All nailed together, all rolling all around. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Wrought yeah. iron monstrosity. You could shift the rooms around if you like got tired of configuration because they're all on wheels on each other's backs. Oh, it'd be like the Winchester Mystery House. Yes, but back to our history. Like a modular home. Yeah, like a modular home, except a modular much home. more beautiful, and also it keeps rolling downhill. And mismatched. <laughs> St. George was not just an excellent duelist, he was also an excellent musician. Several of France's leading composers were friends with his dad uh, because they had benefited from his patronage in the past. You know, he had supported them. And St. George received tutoring from them. Uh, He started a violin with the great French virtuoso. Jean-Marie Leclerc the Elder, and mastered the harpsichord with him as well. Uh, And by the late 1760s, he had become the recipient of a dedication from François-Joseph Gossec, the composer composer at the center of Parisian concert life, the guy who everyone was, you know, listening to, who coordinated uh, various concerts, who introduced people to people, who helped, you know, put together chamber orchestras, the dude. Mm. And in 1769, from that, joined an orchestra called Le Concert des Amateurs, which was directed by Gossec, as first violinist. And in 1773, when Gossec moved on to a different conducting post, St. George became the group's director. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. I like to think he dueled with the second violinist for the chair. <laughs> Just they take those the bows, bows out. Yeah, I'm picturing that. <laughs> ow, ow. I'm picturing them rubbing the bows against each other, against each other's violins, trying to break the strings. Oh, and then he busts out the harpsichord. <laughs> and he comes in with the harpsichord. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a tag team match. <laughs> so uh, St. George's status in French society, though he had all of this success, French society was still hella racist so it was more complicated than that there was a lot of racism in french society this was also the part of the time uh leading up to and during eventually the um french revolution and uh so there's a huge amount of social shift and change going on religious leaders were agitating for the end of slavery and king louis the 16th himself was opposed to the the practice but interracial marriages were still forbidden in fact saint george was never allowed to marry his whole life uh and racism was widespread. So St. George became famous pretty quickly for his music and for his athletic prowess. He was even known in America, across the sea, of how he could swim across the Seine River using only one arm or shoot at and hit a coin thrown into the air. And he was also, you know, 
hugely fashionable. People like dressed like him because they thought he was so cool. That's pretty cool. He was a, such a cool dude. And he, he even like played music with Queen Marie Antoinette. So he, he was, his star was hugely on the rise. Mm-hmm. But, but, when he was considered for the prestigious post of director of the Paris Opera in 1775, the leading sopranos objected on the grounds that they would, that their honor and the delicacy of their conscience made it impossible for them to be subjected to the orders of a, uh, and I'm going to substitute in uh, the term man of mixed race because I don't want to say uh, a racial slur here. Um, I hope that's okay, listeners. I, uh, I'm erring on the side of caution because it's, it, it's awful. Um, so Max, well, I, I have a feeling you're not going to be dragged over the coals on this one for, <laughs> for being the, the person on the right side of history. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so even with all of that, he was still a major star in Paris in the 1770s. And by 1772, he had written several violin concertos for his own use as a performer. Uh, they're not like big flashy pieces. They're not like, uh, Ode to Joy or anything like that. But they, um, they really can only be played by a really talented performer. And that needs like a smooth, it says a smooth velvety tone, even at the highest reaches of the violence range, which because it's made, because the articles I read made such emphasis of that, I believe is very hard to do. I know nothing about violence. He also played chamber music and was an enthusiastic uh, member of several chamber music bands and was among the one of the first French composers to write music in the new and important genre of Aust- of Austrian origin, the string quartet. Yeah. What? Yeah, one of the first French com- French composers to compose for string quartet. For some reason, I thought string quartets were older than that. No, no, 1700s, late 1700s even, from Austria. Hmm. And they were the hip new craze that was shaking the nation, the rock and roll sound that your kids are listening to, <laughs> up in their rooms with a string quartet. Now, this is an interesting historical sidebar. Um, the string quartet was an interesting revolution because chamber music was originally, you know, supposed to be played by a small band, right? But you still needed a, a fairly large one, right? Uh, so while chamber music was supposed to be like an intimate sort of sound, a string quartet was more intimate still because it was only four musicians all playing strings, which meant that they could fit into a much wider variety of spaces. They were cheaper to hire. And of course, you know, because there were fewer of them, you know, they did, their sound didn't reach as far. So they're only for small, intimate gatherings. Mm. So, so, so they were viewed as incredibly scandalous oh. yeah they were sex music okay. but so so for those of us who are uh well not me but those of us who are <coughs> uncouth and don't know how many people should be in a chamber music band how big is a chamber music band nice save thank you good save thanks i uh, on the on the side i was looking up barbershop quartet to see if maybe they predated the string quartet because string quartet is late uh 18th century Yes. In this, like, late 1700s, because Barbershop Quartet is uh, late 1800s, but that is a lot closer than I thought the two would be. So a chamber music uh, band is between two and 12 uh, musicians. It's either more or less sexy yeah. than a quartet. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and a chamber orchestra is 15 to 30 members. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, I said again, that's more or less sexy, depending on... <laughs> I wasn't paying attention the first time. I would love to hear the, the I mean, the basic, like, uh, what is, that kind of, like, porn, like, the bounce, but, like, done by a quartet. Yeah, like... Chamber music? 
Yeah. <laughs> and they were just like sitting there like, yeah, all right. This is yeah. cool. <laughs> Baby making music. <laughs> then the trumpet com- trombone com- uh, comes out. <laughs> what sound was that, Max? Trombone. Yeah, no, but do it again. Yeah, one more time. <laughs> Oh, I think there's something inside of it. Oh, oh okay, that's good. Now I get it. That's right. good. Edit whichever one makes you sound best. We- I'll put them all in, <laughs> as well as your harsh, harsh mockery. <laughs> uh, real Colin mockery there. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! I know. Yeah, taking swings at at famed improviser Colin mockery. Do you think we could get him on he'd this probably, podcast? He'd probably go for it. I don't, this doesn't uh, have anything better. I don't know. Colin Mockery, fight me. I don't know. Maybe he, I think he has, like, in the whole, like, improv touring around no, and, no, no, and no. doing he shows. And He'll do whatever the fuck, man. Yeah. He was on that commercial yeah. for toothpaste? I don't know. What Just flatter him, you know? Tell him we want to hear about his knowledge of history. He'll do it. We can try. I don't know how to reach him. He's probably on Twitter. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Coming soon, an episode with Colin Mockery. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Or blame Max. Yeah. So uh, have you have you heard of uh, Saint George before? No, no, no. Only in the context of the dragon, like the. So uh, there's a reason for that, which I'll get to later. But it's interesting that we haven't because he was well, he wasn't prolific. He was incredibly in tune with the um, the trends of the day and was incredibly influential. Mozart based a passage in his ballet score Le Petit Rien, the li- or the Little Nothings, on one of Saint George's melodies. And Saint George wrote a concerto for harp and orchestra, several sympathy- symphonies and operas, and several works in characteristically French genres. The Symphony Concertaine for a small group of instruments with orchestra, and the Quartet Concertante for a mixed group of small instruments. He also composed several symphonies and operas, some of which have unfortunately been lost. He was he had various nicknames, including Le Mozart Noir, or the Black Mozart, uh, on, and on concert posters advertising both Mozart's music and that of St. George, the two men received equal billing. So wow. they, yeah, equal levels, equally large names... It was uh, they were you know considered to be contemporaries. In fact, Mozart uh, was a gross thing. Is that Mozart based the villain in his play The Magic Flute on Saint George? Um, but many speculate out of jealousy, and that villain wow. is gross, real gross. So they weren't buds. <sighs> it went back and forth. It went back and forth. Like life on the road. There's some evidence that Mozart was saw them as like a rival and contemporary, but then the whole thing with the magic flutes all fucked up. It's it's weird. <laughs> I might have this might be coming up, but the St. George title. Mm-hmm. I don't recall in what you've talked about so far. Has that name like how that name came to be? Like at this time when he was getting the billing, was it uh his name like Joseph? So or was he already referred to as like St. George? Uh because his father was uh a member of the nobility, he was uh his holdings included the area of St. George. As such, members of the nobility are referred to by their landed title. Got it. Because yeah. I was like waiting to hear how that. I was just like, yeah, was he it's like um, it's like uh, the Duke of Wellington is okay. Duke Wellington because you know and there's a place called Wellington that he represents officially. Because so he is known as Wellington because he is legally indistinct uh, from the area of Wellington in the whole uh, legal like proceeds uh, in England, for example. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, not cool. nowadays, but he was. That's yeah. the whole like idea behind it. It's a, it's it's a whole interesting system. Yeah, no, uh, well, kind of fucked up, but you know. <laughs> well, partially because I was also thinking in terms of like you know canonize like 
saints like you know they have like the saint george who killed the last dragon or whatever like so no, he, like that he was not a like, saint no yeah like through, through <laughs> but he did kill a dragon he did through... kill a dragon 100 percent. yeah <laughs> and that the, dragon's name was Mozart. loneliness um <laughs> no the loneliness that dwells in our hearts he slew it with his music that brought us together no it was more of just like yeah that the by having land called saint george or like being yeah. of an area he would get the title saint george which is totally distinct from a like canonized saint yeah george. okay yeah. cool the area is named after saint george but yes. he is not a saint george it's a confusing system i'll admit but that's why it's this saint george of saint george le chevalier de saint george Okay. Yeah. So there were. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Also, um, I did that with a uh, Quebecois French accent because I, I can't do a French French accent. I have a. So they call you Noel Wallingford because he's from. No, Wallingford. of Wallingford. Wallingford. No, well, uh, you only be called that if you are of the nobility. Otherwise, you just be. <laughs> no. We weren't no. of the nobility. There you go. We weren't of the nobility. No, we weren't of the nobility. So it's interesting you should mention him slaying a dragon, because with all the success and all this fame and all this fortune. Uh, and all this racism in France, he was not always appreciated. In 1779, St. George and a friend were attacked by six men while walking. That's a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. How many harps do they have? Not enough to, not enough to fucking beat St. George, who fought them off with a walking stick! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he fought them off with his fucking walking stick. But the investigation of the attack was mysteriously squashed, huh? and rumors circulated that the attackers were secret police from the court in Versailles, hmm. and that the reason for the attack was St. George's closeness with Marie Antoinette, uh, with whom he often played music. Hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, there's there's uh, awfulness there, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but fucking dude fought, them, fought off six men, you know, outnumbered three to one. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the question of, like, so he was learning both uh, dueling and music around the same time. It would have been part of his just schooling in yep. general. So that's interesting, though, that, like, he would have dueled, like, what? He was, like, 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Duels for a year. Uh, he dueled like, longer than that. Longer. But I, yeah. But, like, so he... He was one of the... He he's was, more defined by... He was by, considered the finest swordsman in his time. He was actually still fencing this whole time I've, oh, been, I've okay. been telling you about. But I've been focusing he, more on the music side because there's not that much... There aren't that many notable duels during this time. Got it. But, yeah, he's, he's been... This whole time, he's, he's still been keeping his hand in. He's semi-retired at this point, but he's still, like, a duelist, and he still teaches... Dueling. In fact, he ran the school that taught uh, Alexander Dumas, uh, the father of Alexander Dumas, the writer, Alexander Dumas, the elder, who um, was a French war hero, general philanthropist, incredible guy who I really recommend reading his autobiography, his not autobiography, his biography, The Black Count about Alexander Dumas, the elder. Super cool dude. And also his rival uh, uh, later on. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Wait, Alexander. Alexander, Alexander Dumas. So was Alexander, Alexander Dumas's Dumas rival? So no. son rivalry? No, no, no. Uh, the father was the rival of St. George later on. Oh, is that how one of them dies? No. Oh, okay, good. No. <laughs> Fact-checking, making sure that's <laughs> not exactly what happened. Uh, no, no. Uh, Alexander Dumas, the elder, died uh, after basically being fucked over constantly by uh, uh, the French uh, and died in poverty and ill health after a long imprisonment on the Isle of Melba. And we'll get to how um, 
how uh, St. George died. But I, they, they actually, interestingly, <laughs> they're, they're both the sons of nobility, of noble plantation holders who um, had an illegitimate child with their mistresses who were slaves, and both of who, both their fathers both fled their plantations after being convicted of a crime with their son to France, and they both set their kids up with schooling, but while well, they still weren't officially recognized as nobility, stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah, it is. I also, I mean, some of this might get cut off because it's were both, starting to both brilliant swordsmen, uh, both fought in the, the Napoleonic Wars, uh, actually in the same re- regiment. We'll get to that later. The, the, you might have to cut this. This is starting to get a, a little bit more into a tangent around, yeah. uh, but Alexander so, Dumas because he was so cool. Well, no, I was actually hearing about his father. Well, like what happened to him was that actually like part of the inspiration for. Yeah. The Count of Monte Cristo? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, the Count of Monte Cristo is a very thinly veiled thing about his dad. As is, um, you know the part in The Three Musketeers where uh, D'Artagnan fights three duels in a day? Yes. His dad did that. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, guns or swords? Swords. Yeah, Alexander Dumas, the elder, was fought three duels in one day, won all three duels, which is... An incredible feat. We, yeah. We, yeah. we might have to cut all because this is getting so far. It's so cool. But, He's I so mean, cool. Maybe, maybe keep it in if, yeah. it's interest, if it sounds interesting in the edit. But I, 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 I spent like a good two months trying to cut down enough of Alexander Dumas's The Elder's Life to be like manageable for an episode of Anachronismo, but he's just did too many cool things. <laughs> I was like, this is 12 pages. You, I can't. You could do a several parter. <laughs> part one, um, part two. I could, episode I could. Episode only on him. Yeah. But yeah, do yourself a favor, listener, and fucking read that fucking book, The Black Count. No, it's just mentioning that like three duels in a day and now knowing this based off of a real event, mm-hmm. but also now knowing more about the the nature of dueling and the legality of it. I, I remember reading like a kid's version of Three Musketeers growing up where mm. D'Artagnan has to do like the three duels in a day. And Which D'Artagnan does to himself. Let's he, be honest. He, no, here. he does to himself, <laughs> he does but it to himself. For, he just forgets his planner and he just makes them all the no, same he, day. He, he cha- no, he just challenges he's like he he pisses off three dudes who are the other three musketeers, one after the other after the other, and just challenges them, like one to a duel in the morning, one to a duel in the, in the at noon, so one to a duel in the evening. And then they all show up with this no sorry, they do, like Johnson like and they all show up at the same time because they're like, Oh, I'm, we're all each other's seconds for the duel, and they're like, Oh, we're all dueling the same guy. <laughs> Let's oh. get him. <laughs> no, but as a kid I always thought that like because of how duels are often portrayed, like the dramatic, you know, dual portrayal is that someone dies. So I was like, oh, my God, like, he would be dead. <laughs> There's no way he's going to win all three. He has to kill three dudes in one day. But it was more of an honor, like, if he had gotten wounded or something. First blood to yield. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes to the death, if no one yields or that's not arranged. But, yeah. He got lucky. <laughs> yeah, and there were people who would, like, just fucking duel to the death illegally. Like, that was a thing. So, sorry, so... St- yeah. Rewinding it back, <laughs> taking, <laughs> taking a, a big step yeah. back. Yes. So after the disbanding of the Concert des Amateurs, uh, St. George founded a new group called uh, Le Concert de la Loge Olympique in 1781. Uh, and he th- thereafter uh, wrote two of his most successful operas, Le Fille Garçon, uh, or The Girl Boy, which to today's sensibilities sounds like an awful title. And also an opera it's for French, children. Though. Just say yeah. in French. Yeah, the, Le, never uh, the, the successful opera La Fille Garçon. And also an opera for children, Aline et Dupree ou Les Marchands de Morons, or Aline and Dupree or The Chestnut Seller. Hmm. Yeah. And in 1787, uh, he was invited to England, where he spent several years, to give a fencing exhibition. Uh, and his exhibition was against an opponent uh, believed to be a woman, uh, Le Chevalier de Aon, who was actually a male French diplomat dressed as a woman. And the event was depicted in paintings that circulated all over Europe. 
But why? Uh, I'm going to, yeah, unpack, wait, start to unpack that, yeah. Well, partially to defend his identity, partially to try and shame Le Chevalier de Saint-Georges, and partially because he was a well-known enough fencer, and a good enough fencer, that if he had entered himself, um, he wouldn't have been able to have people bet on him uh, against the odds and make money. So it sounds like some weird, like, Ocean's Eleven kind of like, we're going to place a lot of money on this duel, and I'm going to enter it, but I, I'll... I'll be dressed as a woman. And I'll... Uh, but I'll, Danny, why? Because I... Because this is personal. <laughs> I want to defeat George him. St. George knew that it was this guy? Hmm? St. George knew it was this guy unclear. and not some woman? It is unclear. What is known is that he knew that, that uh, this one had... Been this person who was known as a woman had been fencing and beating a lot of people, oh, and she was okay. she was it was thought that she was a an excellent female duelist, and so it was a fencing exhibition between the two of them. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So in England, St. George became involved with the country's growing anti-slavery movement, and he founded a similar French group called Société des Amis des Noirs, or Society of the Friends of Black People. And apparently these activities were, uh, again, irritating to British slave dealers, and St. George was once again attacked by a group of five men armed with pistols in London, and once again escaped serious injury by once again using his walking stick as an impromptu sword. Wow! (laughs) And although he had broken, and this was also, he was in his 40s, and when he was 40, had broken his Achilles tendon. And he was still able to do this. Able to fight off five men with guns. All right, this guy's pretty cool. With a stick. That's so cool. (laughs) He's so cool. Oh, my God. I couldn't fight one person with a gun with a gun. No. I couldn't fight one person with two broken Achilles tendons sleeping. If I had a gun, I would have been like, no, I can't do this. Liz, you're never looking at this. He's got two broken Achilles tendons. Aww. Life's already shot him. I mean, I don't think If I'd... he was wearing a sad puppy mask, he'd look like a sad puppy. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I think in this scenario, you have to assume that they've attacked you. Mm-hmm. Oh, Otherwise, okay. you're just murdering for fun. Yeah. Uh, or not murdering for fun. So it was around. <laughs> <laughs> so it was around. I had a change of... Wait, are you not killing or are no, you no, not I'm having not... fun? Wait, no. Uh, both. Both. What? I'm well, not killing, and I'm not having fun. So you're just having a bad time. I'm right? having a bad time. Yeah. Not killing. Not killing. Not, not, not Feeling killing. guilty for not killing people. No, feeling really guilty should've. for the idea of killing people. Not, uh, not, see, feeling, not feeling guilty for not killing no, people. No, this hasn't... Okay, okay, okay. That looks fucking crazy. Feeling guilty for thinking about killing people. Having yes. impure, impure killing thoughts. Yes. Mm-mm. For a man with two broken Achilles tendons who may or may not look kind of like a puppy when he's sleeping. I'm going to lay it all down on the line. You know, it's, it's nice to be honest. I'm laying all elements of this hypothetical on the line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If he didn't look like a puppy, I can't say what I would do. I would hope that I would also not so what I'm kill a man is, in his sleep. In order to be safe from Noel, what? No. go to sleep in puppy face paint. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Oh, that sounds time-consuming. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, but... Jackie, it's your life. I've been safe so far. But it, can confident. you really be safe enough? Yes. Maybe you could just put a little this, puppy this nose on. This is really making <laughs> this is really just making me sound like a serial killer right now. I can't kill puppies. Oh, why can't I do this? It was around this time. Who knows what happened around this time in history in France? Can you remind me of the year? It was. Beep, 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 beep. 17, late 70s, early 1790s. Still 100 years out from the first barbershop quartet. French Revolution. Fren- yes, that's correct. 
It was then. The, we're talking about a revolution. Not hey, the deadly barbershop you know. revolution of no. the late 19th century. No, the streets didn't run black with, with hair. hair. <laughs> <laughs> black and itchy. Um, it ran red and white. With blood and pus? Yep. Oh, like a barber pole. Yep. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, it was around this time that the French Revolution rolled around, and this was to shape uh, much of his life going forward. So he sympathized with the revolution's democratic aims, and as he lived in the city of Lille, he became captain of the National Guard. Uh, and with his strong connections to the opposed French court, though, he was an object of suspicion among revolutionary leaders. And in the 1790s, he uh, took his his aristocratic name of Le Chevalier de Saint-Georges to Monsieur de Saint-Georges, and later to simply George. Hmm. So that he would not be, you know, killed by the reign of terror. Hmm. Yeah, smart. Uh, and his war broke out between France and the Austrian monarchy. Oh, that's actually a cool thing too. The one of the things in the French Revolution was the flattening of titles. Everyone uh, from count to just peasant, everyone was called citizen, uh, and that was the only title that was allowed. It's a cool little that thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, how do you say citizen in French? Citizen. It's a French. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. A whole thing that was going on in France right now after the French Revolution was that France was looking farther afield and was looking at other systems of monarchy and serfdom and saying, that's fucked up. We should stop that. So they so they, so they whipped everyone into a patriotic fervor and was like, hey, Germany, stop having serfs. And Germany was like, lol, no, I'm going to keep having serfs. What are you going to do? Fight me? And you know what France did? Fight them. They fought them. They launched war against Austria and Germany, and uh, St. George formed a new uh, corps, le- new legion of all black volunteers to volunteer to fight in the war. He became a colonel there of that new force, and the, and the, new, for- the new legion became known as the St. George Legion, or Le Légion de St. George. And he actually fought alongside Alexandre Dumas, uh, who, was a, who he recruited as a captain for his legion. Very cool. And this is where they fight the dragon. Right. This is where well, this is where a lot of cool shit happens, actually. <laughs> so uh, Saint George was uh, given credit for the victory over the Austrians at Lille, and he also played a key role in foiling the treason of Dumouriez, which was a plot by a renegade French officer, General Dumouriez, to seize the city. Saint George pretended he was going to go along with it and was like, "Oh, sure, well, let's betray France. Hell yeah, betray France." And um, fooled his agent, uh, General uh, Miakzinski, into thinking he would, you know, just, like, open the gates, let him in. But then, when he was, like, let down his guard, all of them came into the room. They're like, great, let's hear this plan. And he's like, arrest these men. <laughs> <laughs> Clapped them in irons and marched them up. And uh, they were ex- uh, and they were executed, though Dumouriez was uncaught and had to flee the country. St. George was uh, hailed as a hero for this, which was very cool. Yeah. And I'll sidebar on Alexander Dumas. Alexander Dumas, like, ran several successful campaigns, went from, like, being in this legion to running his own corps, ran all these amazing, like, did all these, had these amazing victories. But he was most well known because there was a point during this battle, during this war, where there was a narrow pass and one bridge over it. And the uh, legion was in retreat. They were low on food. They were, they had been um, badly hurt. But this was a choke point, And only one soldier could get across at a time. And Alexander Dumas stood at the head of that bridge and killed every man who crossed it for a day. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And lived. Yeah, he, he literally did something Why out of... Why did they tag him out? What? Why did they tag him out at all? Because he was buying time for his men to escape what? and come back with reinforcements. Oh. But also... He was so cool. That is really I cool. mean, what... 
what about guns and like just the ability to shoot someone at range, even with like a crossbow? Or they're like, all right, we didn't think to bring any of those. We we could take this guy. I, He's just I one would guy. I would have to do more research and check check that up. But like there I, there were there the were circumstances apart? around it. They were low on ammo. You know, at this point it was all fixed stuff. Why didn't they take the bridge apart? Yeah. <sighs> there was some reason. That they like it was too well built, or they were they were too slow, or they had to just, like just fucking go. What about throw? But poisonous it, it wasn't. It wasn't at like him. it wasn't like a rope bridge that he could just slash. You know, poisonous snakes. They could have thrown them at him. They could have thrown poisonous snakes at them. That's true. There was this one guy at the back of the line being like, "Guys, I got the snakes. We don't have to keep dying. Just <laughs> use the stupid snakes." Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh my god, Erickson with his snakes again." Mm. Erickson snakes again. That's that's his nickname. Yep. Uh, anyway, I wanted Always to share that. Always his answer. We're running low on yeah. la- rations. Yeah. I got this bag of snakes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the rivalry between uh, Dumas and St. George did reach a pitch. Dumas denounced St. George to Robespierre, charging him with corruption and financial mismanagement. And St. George was imprisoned in, 19- in 1793, but released a year later after Robespierre's fall. So he actually got off a lot easier than a lot of people who fell into Robespierre's uh, crosshairs. Yeah, he was the chop-chop guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the chop-chop guy. So, unfortunately, after a life filled with glory, the last years of St. George's life were pretty bad. He returned to the Caribbean for several years and was deeply disillusioned by the black-on-black warfare he witnessed on the Isle of Santo Domingo. As slave rebellions uh, broke out there, the French uh, government sent troops, many of them former members of the St. George Legion, to quash these rebellions. This time in the French Revolution, there were no more slaves in France. This was a huge point of national pride. And in fact, there was a whole school set up for um, black children to be educated, but they still needed to have slavery in their colonies to keep their government and like economy running. And there was a huge controversy about that. And eventually when Napoleon took power, Napoleon was like, hey, guess what? I'm incredibly racist and yanked all that, all that fucking rug, all, every rug out of, out, out in front of the feet of every black person in France. Yeah, fuck you, Napoleon. Napoleon's a real piece of shit. Well, he's never getting onto this show. Yeah, fuck that guy. Never going to be a guest. Anyway. Um, you hear that, Napoleon? You got beat out by Colin Mockery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he eventually returned to France and became the director of a new orchestra called Le Circle de la Harmonie, the Circle of Harmony, which performed the Le Palais Royal, the former home of the Duke of Orleans. However, living alone, unable to marry because of unfair French laws, St. George contracted a bladder infection and died on June 10th, 1799. After his death, they released many commemorative editions of his music for collectors and to commemorate him. But soon, new restrictions on, uh, on black people introduced by Napoleon, appeared across France's empire. And slavery, which had been abolished there in 1794, was reimposed by Napoleon. 1974? No, 1794. Uh, And fighting deep in the Caribbean between the slave rebels and French troops. And St. George, who was seen as an ally of those rebels, and who, uh, you know, was a black man who achieved success during a time when uh, a dictator, a racist dictator, had almost complete control over everything, uh, his he and his music were removed from orchestra repertoires and from history books. Oh wow! Uh, and Whoa. were and mo- and much of his music was lost for uh, the next two hundred years. That's a long time. And he's only recently, in the past uh, twenty thirty years, has his life has he been rediscovered and re researched and his music been rediscovered and is now again a common part of many orchestra repertoires and is considered some of the most beautiful pieces of music to emerge from that era. 
So, you know, fuck you, Napoleon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. This guy yeah. sounded cool. He's so cool. <laughs> yeah. He's very cool. Uh, yeah. By all accounts, just a really fucking cool ass dude. Yeah. Also, he will wear a big powdered wig all the time <laughs> um, and a big frock coat. And he was oh, very those fashionable. Those wigs are so dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, everyone, uh, everyone was wearing them. He was yeah, a trendsetter. With yeah. with a, a wig that big, though, I like to imagine like that the, the point that he got, you know, kind of mugged on these two occasions is like he was just walking normally down the street and they're like, Hey, we got him. He's unarmed, and they they like you know march forward on him, and he just slowly pulls his long stick out of his <laughs> wig, and they're like, "Oh Jesus, no!" I was yeah, pulls a stick out of his wig, and then takes his wig off, and just flings it in their eyes, and they're like, "Oh, ah, clutching on it like it's a fucking face hugger." <laughs> <laughs> powder flying everywhere. Throw the snakes at him. Oh no, snakes are allergic to hair powder. No, I'm playing with the snakes. The snakes are just sneezing. They're they're just, they're just like us. I can't throw them. <laughs> oh, the snakes are biting me. A walking stick hit my head. The snakes hate the walking stick. They're biting harder. Oh, how human of them uh, to lash out when they're afraid. Oh. We're the real monsters. <laughs> We're not so different. Ah, only in death do I realize. Ah, cut off my arms and legs. I'll slither my way back uh, to my house. <laughs> This Erickson person. <laughs> we need to find out more about that. Uh, before we get to you, though, it's time for the break. Hi, welcome to the break. I hope you're enjoying the show right now. We're uh, we're all sitting in a cozy little room in Jackie Knoll's apartment uh, with a cat watching us. No, uh, she's sleeping. She's sleeping. You're okay. a liar. A you're a liar. I'm a fucking liar. Okay. <laughs> if you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher? Or why not just contact us? Uh, we're on Gmail and uh, Twitter. Uh, Gmail is it's anachronismo at gmail.com. And Twitter, it's at anacpodcast. That's A-N-A-C podcast. In fact, we have a new review this week that we want to share with you. We're really happy to have it. So we're gonna I'm going to read this out for you live on the air. To th- to thanks, everybody. So here it is from Kel Elk Warrior on iTunes Podcasts. <clears throat> Another great Make Fun Network show. I can't tell you how hard I laughed at this show, and I'm only on episode four! Exclamation point. It's, it's going to get better. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Kel. The, the audio gets a lot better. I hope you catch up to us. And when you do, there's a nice little surprise for you. Thank you for your very kind words. They made me smile. Uh, I, I appreciate them. They're real nice to see, real nice to hear. I hope you enjoy our increasingly good content and better and better audio. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and then when they uh, they get to the, the point they realize that if they submit fan fiction, that we'll read it. We'll read your fan fiction live on the air. Well, recorded on the air. Send us fan fiction. We've already read one piece. I we'll do another. We keep saying the fan fiction. It depends on what's in that fan fiction. Yeah, within reason. Don't 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 abuse your power, fans. Speaking of fans, we have a live show coming up in March. March first, I've got it in my calendar. We are going to be performing at the Democracy Center with Improv History, so we're going to be opening for them again. So why not come on down? The show is free with a small suggested donation. Well, uh, so yeah, you can donate on the way on your way out if you feel guilty for having such a nice time, and we'd love to see you. We'd <laughs> love want to make them feel guilty <laughs> after you've had a lovely time, and you're like, I liked that. I want to reward that. There we go. This is my voice. This is my voice. I'm Jimmy Stewart. Oh, goodness. Jimmy Stewart, Mickey Mouse combination. Oh, oh, I enjoyed that history. I said a lot of things about Walt Disney that were true. There's there's something sinister happening across in the apartment across from me. That's a wonderful life. (laughs) That's not what I'm seeing across from me. Clarence, I want to live again. (laughs) Goofy, send me back. (laughs) So, yeah, come to the live show. Come to the live show. 
March 1st at 8.30 p.m. Uh, at the Democracy Center. Uh, admission is free. We'd love to see you there. If you come there to see us specifically, let us know. Um, we'd love to see you. Come get a beer with us. You know, we're we're cool, fun, hip kids. Mm-hmm. Well, millennials, you know. Cool and hip. Save it. Cool save it. We're saving it. Uh, 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 oh, no. The, 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 the no, break uh, is d- over. Do, do your best cover of a famous uh, early 2000s pop song. Go, go. Don't you forget about me. No, no, no. That's... Oh, ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, 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 bye. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know go. what year that came out, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We did it. That's the end of the break, guys. Oh, what? Tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Okay, that's the break. <laughs> what about Whitney Houston? Okay, I'm just going to put on some. <laughs> and now we're throwing it over to Noel. So I'm going to talk today about uh, Stephen Bishop, a. Bishop named Stephen. Uh, Stephen Bishop, a early to mid 19th century uh, cave explorer who incidentally wound up exploring and was one of the first mappers of the what would turn out to be the largest cave system, not just in the United States, but in the entire world. Ooh. Now, uh, this relatively um, short history of his life, he spent a large part of it exploring this cave system and mapping it out, and it would be later referenced on to um, other cave explorers. Like, at the time, they didn't actually realize just how uh, large this cave system was, but he was one of the first prominent mappers of it. So it started when he was um, 17. He, I could not, so he was a slave, but at the age of 17, was put in charge of uh, sort of exploring and also being a tour guide for a large cave in Kentucky that they expect to be a tourist attraction, which I was kind of surprised to hear. That there were the, tourists back then? The, yeah, like it was supposedly it was going to be a tourist attraction and also like a cave that just, I don't know, for some reason that struck me, that strikes me as such a much later sort of tourist kind of attraction, just kind of walking around in caves. Like a big I, old hole. I mean, it's a, a marvel of nature and no? all. Well, yeah. Like Carlsbad uh, Caverns have an entire cafeteria and like fast food restaurants in them. What? Yeah. That seems it's, sacrilegious somehow. Yeah, it's closed now. Good. Lunchroom. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think I agree with that. Feel like you should let caves be caves. Underground mall. <laughs> no. Yes. Though there is apparently a huge underground uh, event space that's 333 feet below the Earth's surface. That's just a giant cave where people hold concerts. Oh, they do that in the catacombs. Ooh. A secret movie club also meets in the catacombs. That's cool. So uh, Stephen was, by accounts, had educated himself uh, very well. He knew Greek. He knew Latin, and he was just a very. Um, intelligent ambitious uh man who just wanted to explore this cave and he wanted to like he just wanted to know all that he could about it and he had by i think he had a great sense of humor with some of the areas that he named like he would he would draw out the cave network and just name certain areas of it so one of the areas he called one part of it the river sticks called one part that was filled uh with it's called i think like indian gypsum it's a like it's a milky white crystal, milky white crystal, yeah. Um, that he called the snowball room when he <laughs> came across it on tour. It's very um, charming. He by I think scaling like a thirty foot wall, he discovered this huge chamber which had just this massive 
naturally built dome that he called Goran's Dome. And he had one of the cutest names, the one that I really liked. He had this one passage, not Scrufflebutt, Little Bat Avenue. Little Bat Avenue. Um, I'm just imagining a bunch of tiny bats walking to work with little hats and little little briefcases. Yeah. Yeah. All in, a, all in a single file line. Guys, this is before flashlights and stuff. Oh. Yeah, I know job. that with he torches. Dang! Could you imagine climbing a thirty foot sheer I, cliff without like being able to see much farther? They ahead used of to you? have these old. They used to have old miners' helmets, were like little wicks that burned, that were like attached to the front of your helmet. I didn't yeah. find too much about any of the. I mean, obviously, he had uh, just stand like rope gear and and such. But like, yeah, the the sheer tear of like narrow passageways the uh bottomless pit that i'll talk about in a few minutes plus caves can be full of cave damp which uh, explodes in contact with flame or will just suffocate you because hmm. it's not air how do you get around that you caves are terrifying like yeah a, a big old stick kind of like a whisker you just touch stuff to the for the cave damp not for the damp in particular but just exploring the cave like right. you have a stick yeah to how, do, how do you do it i did not see too much in the methodology. Just I'm, that I'm gonna imagine years to yeah. you know he had pretty much years in the just discretion to explore as much of the cave as he was able to or mm-hmm. that he wanted to, and he just had uh you know just years of like being able to just go as far as he want. And by that point, he probably had pretty good night vision too. If you if you exercise night vision, it improves. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Oh, little cave, not little cave, little bat. Way. Little bat avenue. Oh, avenue. Yeah, it's wow. so it's even cute. cuter with avenue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he just spent a lot of years, um, just exploring this cave system. But the really cool part, uh, was uh, eventually like what this would lead to in um certain parts of the science world because he discovered, I, I guess, early, sort of early, relatively early into the cave shallow into the cave i don't know like not too far ah there we go not, not too far, too far into, into the cave, cave. Yeah. there was this uh pit that was just daunting to cross because it was it appeared to be bottomless mm-hmm. so i'm assuming you know at least 50 100 feet like hock a loogie in there and you never hear it hit yeah because you're just putting your finger in your, in your mouth, mouth and, and holding it, it up <laughs> and be like who wants to fight um but uh in 1838 he and another, uh, I didn't find the person's name, but another tourist decided that they were going to brave the pit. And so they constructed a ladder that they just put across the pit. Who and was like, this is my vacation to die? I don't know. Like, but people, it was. It's on it's my bucket list. All and guts and glory. Might as well like, do it. <laughs> they, they just put a ladder over this pit and actually walked across it, which must have been terrifying. <laughs> Sometimes when I hear about people in the past doing things, I'm just like, I guess people in the past just. Had no fear of death. Or just didn't value life. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> so. I like we're really bored. <laughs> well, death beats just hanging out here doesn't any longer. <laughs> so, um, so what happened after they got past the bottomless pit is the. Fought real- a dragon. We're still 150 no. years out from an underground McDonald's. We better set up a regular hamburger no. stand and wait for the franchise to come. No, but it's interesting because there are aspects of both of your wild guesses <laughs> that I'm gonna <laughs> that I'm going to address. Educated wild guesses, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, but honestly, not far off. So I'll, I'll focus on yours first, Max. Mm-hmm. The that they found a dragon. No, but they did not find a dragon. But they actually uh, a 
upon crossing this cave and getting into the larger network, they started to find underground uh, like lakes and pools. Mm-hmm. And the thing that they had found in those lakes and pools that had to this date not been found were blind fish, snakes, like subterranean creatures that Ooh. were totally blind. And so this was a huge uh, scientific discovery. And scientists actually came to this cave to begin studying these creatures. So can you imagine how terrifying that must have been? You you cross this bottomless cavern and mm-hmm. you're just like, man, I'm, I'm kind of like I'm crossing into threshold. And then you get through the other side and you find these things that just are these blind creatures living underground that you've never seen, heard anything that like That no before. one's ever seen. Yeah. Did any of them get named after him? Uh, I, I didn't see any that, <sighs> that had Bishop been. Blind <laughs> I mean, God, that would have been so cool. Yeah, to, to just – Come across that. I, I would have freaked out. <laughs> I would have just been like, we got we to gotta get we back gotta, over go. this bottom. This cave is pit. occupied. We need to leave. <laughs> so that that was the aspect of um, that guess that was correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just I'm imagining gonna... that it's like, um, I'm not sure if it was Alien. It was some movie you were watching where the scientists take off their helmets and they're like, what's this thing? And then they like poke it and then it kills them. That's oh, yeah. a lot of sci-fi movies. Um, I sci-fi think movies. that was maybe when I was watching Prometheus. Yeah, it was scary. That's the one. The prequel to Alien. Prequel, sequel, not as great cool <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but, Jackie, you know, your comment about a underground McDonald's 150 years later. So uh, I'm going to focus on the 150 years later. Um, so oh, I, I didn't do the math right. That's not no, well. No, but <laughs> but you're you're close in that Stephen had put together a lot of diagrams, a lot of map mapping out something like uh, 16 kilometers of this cave, of which the entire network is actually 400. Like Whoa. it's that big. Um, and it wasn't actually until um, there were explorers in 1972 that actually were exploring a different cave system and they came to this passageway and they met and they down little bad Avenue. (laughs) No, um, they actually found the, the kind of furthest edges of where uh, Stephen had explored was the edges of another cave system. And that's where they realized that it was this massive, massive cave system uh, in just, you know, Midwestern America. Whoa. So that was the 150 years later. They kind of started to bridge these networks together. Very cool. That is very cool. So, um, you know, that that was really uh, it. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to just, oh, that was it. That's, that's the end. Um, but that, you know, that was kind of, um, Stephen tragically died um, oh. very young, just was at the age. Accident? No, he, he died of um, being hunted down by things that lived in the cave that were mad at being disturbed so not an are accident. you wait what, not an what movie is on that purpose. The, <laughs> hmm? what movie? tremors no no what, what's that movie where they go into the the cave like the cave divers go down it was like a big oh early the, 2000s the descent, the descent. Yeah. yeah no no um no like at this time i, I guess mid uh mid 19th century there was a massive like tuberculosis outbreaks oh, no. in america so oh, he tragically died in his mid-30s, um, a year after being set free as a slave from um, his – I hate using the word master or owner. Um, slaveholder? Yeah, his slaveholder had in his will bequeathed his uh, freedom. And it was tragically, though, only a year after he had uh, received that freedom that he mm-hmm. passed away of um, tuberculosis. But, you know, not after having, you know, kind of spent his whole life kind of just – uh, laying the foundations for you know discovery and 
really cool things. Yeah. Because of him, we have knowledge of all these alternate all evolutionary paths. Right? Yeah. I mean, super, super bold and brave uh, led to the first discovery of these uh, blind subterranean animals. Sounds like a super fun guy with a little bad avenue. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. And that sounds like a, just, an, uh, like a um, 1920s song, a little bad avenue. Like yeah, a little just, deuce coupe. Um, yeah, and by accounts, it was just a really fun, entertaining, creative, and trepidatious uh Repetitious man. Cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. Very not uh, – when I, as you were, like, going over all of, like, St. George's stuff, I was just like, man. <laughs> My Steven, dude's not going to look Steven as cool. Steven carved his, his, his little slice of life out and, yeah. and had a – um, but, yeah, no, it was super cool. Like, pine fish are cool. Jackie hates them. <laughs> from the from the planet uh they're the blue planet too mm. <laughs> deep sea they're disgusting <laughs> but yeah Stephen bishop Stephen bishop wow what a what a cool dude yeah um we are unfortunately out of time for this week oh but i got a good one let's hear it okay so if they met saint george hold on hold on, hold on. we got to do the song i know i know What if they had met? What if ASMR sound? They had met. They never ripping off a more. They never met. He's trying to what if they had met? Tell me why they would have said tell me what they would have done but tell me where they would have they would have met but never met tell me anachronismo (laughs) nice <laughs> so We're not dumb. getting sued for that one. <laughs> so dumb. All right. Uh, what's All up, right. Jack? Yeah. Saint George. Uh huh. Meets Mister Bishop. Mm-hmm. In the cl- in the caves. Mm-hmm. He immediately takes out his walking stick. Uh huh. Thumps it on the walls of the cave. Uh huh. Composes an amazing song. Uh-huh. With amazing acoustics. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful acoustics. And then Mister Bishop gives it a cutesy name. And then it's all over the posters of Tennessee. So what would the name have been? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay, okay. Uh, a little bat symphony. Little bat symphony. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, like they're all applauding with their little bat wings. <laughs> uh, the little leathery claps. Or maybe he trains them all to sing, and they uh, all sing in beautiful bat harmony that knowing that humans can't hear. <laughs> A fishless a tear rolls out of a fishless eyes evolutioned out. And it and it's in the bottom of a pool. It's the bottom of the pool is just a big lump of slime and it just floats up. <laughs> and they're just like, Yes. 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 Mm. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Mm. I just had that image of them like running around bonking the walls, making a beautiful song. <laughs> I thought I thought the world should know. No, I I appreciate that. I think the world does. Well, that's going to do it for us tonight here on Anachronismo. Thank you so much for joining us. We've had a lovely time. Hope you have as well. Uh, we'll be back in another two weeks to give you more history goodness and history fun. Join us at the live show. Yes, please join us at the live show on March 1st at 8.30 p.m. at the Democracy Center. We'd love to see you there. In Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about before we go? There was your promise that if the history show is a sellout, 
um, right before the show that you would wear a really tight midriff bearing shirt. I made no such promise. I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm supposed I, to yes and, but I'm going to say uh, no, I, but then also fuck you. I, I heard that promise. Uh, <laughs> really midriff. No, I believe that was you saying that to yourself in the mirror while wearing a no, convincing Max mask. Oh, you know, Max is right. You did say that. <laughs> you know what? That was you. That was you. You got it, but you got to yeah. copy the source. I'm I'm no, I'm no. nothing better than a copycat, so... Max will be there in his little in his midriff bearing shirt that really tight that says history pony on it. <laughs> Why pony? Why pony? I don't know. <laughs> oh, cuz you were showing us photos of ponies. Oh yeah, yeah. I I uh, I proposed and to my uh, to my girlfriend now fiance, uh Corner Historian Kate. Corner Historian Kate uh, a couple weeks ago in Scotland. Uh, she said yes, obviously. Uh, there were there's a Victorian folly there. I was on a Scottish hillside, and there were Shetland ponies around. Um, not we're about half an hour walk from the Shetland ponies. We saw them on the way up. But yeah, there was a Victorian folly off in the distance, and a, a folly for those of you uh, who don't remember our one of our earliest episodes about garden hermits. A folly is a uh, a building that looks like a ruin that the Victorians deliberately constructed to look ruined, <laughs> and they would sometimes have hermits live in them. That's pretty cool. Like they would hire to, to live there and just be hermits and live by themselves. It was a good, it was good, good story. There was no hermit there, but we, but uh, we still had a nice time. <laughs> and as great. Max got onto his knee and his tight history pony midriff bearing shirt pulled across, him. <laughs> mm-hmm. she looked right into my pecs and she was like, "I, I will, marry man. You. I gotta break off a piece." Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> And one of the ponies was like, nay. <laughs> uh, when I asked him, I was like, I'm not marrying you, pony. Then why is my name on your shirt? <laughs> my name's history, you. <laughs> well, that's going to do us for us. We'll see you next time here on Anachronismo. Promise the people, Max. <laughs> you promised the people. Brought to you by Make Fun Network. <laughs> <laughs>